Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So it's time for another retro soap instalment from Distinct Nostalgia. Our celebration of Corrie in its 60th year continues, and this time we're back in the street of the 1990s. Chloe Newsom played Alec Gilroy's rather posh granddaughter Vicky. She had many memorable scenes with both Roy Barraclough and, of course, Julie Goodyear, who played his wife, Bette. A quarter of a century after she first left the show, Chloe's been reminiscing with Ashley. Oh, and they're joined once again by Simon Soap, or Soapy Simon. We've still not settled on a name. Perhaps you can let us know what you think on Twitter. Anyway, Simon's here to remind us of the detail of some of those storylines, which may just be fading from Chloe and Ashley's memory. It's a long time ago, after all. Have fun! I was a, a member of the Crucible Youth Theatre in Sheffield, and I think at the time when recruiting kids for TV shows or potentially wanting to seek new talent, the casting agents would travel around the area, going to places like youth theatres because there weren't really these formal theatre schools for kids back then. So Judy Hayfield, who was casting for Granada TV at the time, came to watch one of our rehearsals and invited, I don't know, maybe 20 of us out of the group if we wanted to go for a, a group casting for a kids' TV show that Granada TV were doing. So we all got on a bus and travelled over to Manchester from Sheffield and all auditioned, and I think about five of us were called back, and then I got a job on Children's Ward. And Paul Abbott, who was one of the writers of Children's Ward at the time, a couple of years after that, or a year maybe after that, said to the producers of Coronation Street that he knew of this girl who'd been in Children's Ward who might be suitable to play Alec Gilroy's granddaughter in Corrie. So I didn't really even have a formal interview or audition for that. They called me in and we had a chat in uh, in the producer's office and it was really baffling. I remember that day my dad driving me over and my dad didn't know really what he was driving me over for and he sat in the car park outside and I met these people and I was very confident when I was young and um, I wouldn't have been analysing the situation very much. So I was just sort of having a nice chat and looking around and thinking how nice it was to be in this swanky office and how nice it was to be invited back because I assumed that my my previous job was just my 15 minutes of stardom and that was over and I was just going to go on being a normal schoolgirl after that. And they said, yeah, it's very nice to meet you. You've got the job. And I was like, you are? What? What was that? That was it. But then the character was never intended to be in it permanently. You know, she was a schoolgirl who was at boarding school. So I only appeared in school holidays and at weekends. And then it grew and grew. And I guess they must have thought it's working. She was a nice contrast to the other youth that were in the program because she was from a very different place to the other kids that were around. I think I was 13 when I joined, so I was still at school, and that was also good. I was able to, because my character was at boarding school, I was able to go back to school. I only filmed in chunks until it reached the point 
where I was going to do my A-levels and my school in Sheffield said, unless you make a choice right now, you're probably not going to do very well at school because I just was hardly ever there. So um, do what you want, but we wouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. I think this is a too good an opportunity to pass up. So I left school and went into acting full-time. So, I mean, had you watched Coronation Street as a kid? Do you know you knew what Coronation Street was? I used to watch it when we went to my nan's of a weekend. Um, we always got to stay up and have a cup of tea and a biscuit and watch Corrie with my grandparents. So I, I directly associate it with my nan's house. Obviously, you, you, you knew you were going in to play uh, Alec uh, Gilroy's uh, um, granddaughter, but what were you told about the dynamics of the character and the part and everything? What did you learn at the beginning? Do you remember? Um, all I knew was that she was a posh kid whose parents had both died in a car crash and she didn't know her grandparents very well and they, and that she would be living or she would be staying with them above a pub. And that would be like the shock of her life. And um, and it wasn't very difficult for me to to play all of that because I was a complete fish out of water. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying being in a studio with these people, even being on location with these people. And I just remember now, uh, Roy Barraclough and Julie Goodyear are not tall people. Both of them are actually quite tiny. But I remember them towering above me, especially with Julie's heels and wig. I just remember these enormous, scary people that looked down at me on the station platform where we first met and said, who is this imposter? Because I wasn't the first girl cast in the role. They'd, they'd had another granddaughter and they'd, no one had told Roy and Julie that the part had been recast and this child turned up and they were just like, what, what is this doing here? I just thought, oh heck, this is not a great start. But that, that was the way they treated me. And that really was a brilliant start to a relationship. It was very, it was very rough, very brutal, very loving, but Nobody mollycoddled me. Nobody babied me. I was spoken to like that the whole time. Um, it was really so, loving. So you're thrown in the deep end, thrown in the deep end. What was, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, yeah, your first impression, because you, presumably you'd not, you'd seen them on TV, but you didn't know the, the actors at all. So what were they, you know, what were they like to you, just as, as individuals? What was Julie like at the beginning? Genuinely larger than life. I mean, she is off screen as she is on screen. Such a huge character. I haven't seen her for a very long time. Actually, I saw her, last time I saw her was at Roy's funeral, actually. Um, and I still felt that intimidation that I'd felt as a child, um, all this time had passed by. She is a she is a wonderful, extraordinary woman and was very, very loving to me, but she does seem to come from a different planet. <laughs> you know, she really does. 
24-7. I don't know what she's like in her pyjamas at home, but she really does seem to be 100% diva. Coronation Street had plenty of them, didn't it? And she was one of the... She'd been there since the 60s. There was a lot to Beck, wasn't there, over many, many years. It, by, the time, yeah. by the time you got to know her, you know, she, she was quite even more flamboyant, wasn't she? Because she had big hair and a... And a, and a cigarette holder and all that kind of thing, didn't she, when yeah. you arrived? And, and, and off screen had someone to light her cigarette for her. You know, that. You don't even... It's people like Betty Davis who have that. You don't think that that happens in your life in Granada TV. But it does. Or it did. But it, well, it was Hollywood, wasn't it? Granada was Hollywood in a way. So those early storylines you had then, so you, you kept going in and out kind of thing. What kind of things were you supposed to be doing? You just literally just, just there for a very short period. What kind of storylines did you get right at the beginning? Do you remember? Oh, well, trying to run away, trying to run away from the pub, go back home, riding a horse, running off with, uh, Steve, of course, uh, Simon's character getting into scrapes with them. Um, and then I suppose the next thing I remember was quitting school. But didn't we have something like a, f- a T-shirt printing business or something? Or maybe that he had that. I vaguely remember that. The next thing I know, it must have been quite a long time later, but we had the, uh, oh, I had a bar, didn't I? Then we had a, that was later on when we did the spin-off down in Brighton. I had a wine yeah. bar. Simon is the fount of all soap knowledge. So tell us, remind yeah, us of yeah. some of those early storylines, Simon. So get Chloe's memory going. Yeah, I mean, the very first storyline that you were in, the very first scenes that you were in, were in Piccadilly Station when um, Alec and Bet came to, to pick you yep, up. Yeah, getting off the train. I remember that one. Mm. And then the relationship with Steve began sort of intermittently around that time, like a teenage um, uh, love affair, wasn't it? He was the bad boy of the street and she was this nice child nice girl who'd come from a different sort of background and then you're right they did eventually um set up a t-shirt business he was running the t-shirt business and he was in a long-term relationship with angela griffin's character fiona middleton and then when vicky came back into the series she'd quit school because she'd come into a large inheritance and had decided to spend some time doing other stuff you know away from education and steve managed to persuade her to basically coming with him in the business and then it sort of ballooned from there so I remember working with Angela a lot we were very good friends at that time and I remember some particular like cat fighty scenes between me and her but I didn't realize that my character had stolen her boyfriend I didn't remember that (laughs) he's had so many partners hasn't he um, he, he ran off with some yeah he ran off with someone on a motorbike before Vicky uh, I think that we might have been the first wedding, though. I think I, w- I think I was his first wife. Now, Steve, of course, or Simon, sorry, was new to the program as well because they don't they'd not come in. You know, I think it was nineteen eighty nine that uh, him and the the other McDonalds arrived in in Coronation Street, so they were all quite new to it, and it was a a bit of a new injection, wasn't it, of young blood into the street because the street hadn't yes. had the, that kind of injection for yeah. a while, had it? But but you yeah. but you were a contrast, weren't you? Because you were you were this posh girl, and they were the you know yeah, this working exactly. class guy, and that was the whole that was part of the whole storyline, wasn't it? Really, this sort of contrast between you being this posh girl coming from another area and having to cope with these yeah. the likes of these yeah, people yeah. on Coronation Street. Tell us a bit about that dynamic. I think it was both ways, though. I, from what I remember, the sort of um, the judgment 
and acceptance was was both ways that they felt um she was she was treated very much with suspicion by a lot of the other characters on the street i think because of people expecting her to look down on them so there was a defensiveness there as well I don't remember very very specific things but the mcdonald family took a long time to warm to vicky's character but i think in the end she had a really good relationship with jim from what i remember one or two scenes it's funny when you're filming because you have your sort of set places that you'll work in like i had quite a lot of scenes in the pub and certainly a lot of scenes in the living room behind the pub and then vicky and steve had their own flat and there'd be a location but there'd be places like the cabin i only went there once every few months and it was such a treat if you'd get a scene somewhere that you didn't normally go into be like oh i'm gonna get to work with like thelma that'll be nice oh i've got a scene with so-and-so that'd be really nice because there are some characters who you never cross paths with and you as an actor you really want to be in a scene with that actor but your characters would never there's no scenario that they would never meet so but then I was, of course I did quite a lot of stuff with Sarah Lancashire as well because Raquel was working in the pub at the same time so she was a brilliant actress to be in scenes with I was really lucky to have worked with her Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. Three men. One sketch show. Not enough time. What are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm just recording our new promo for Distinct Comedy. What's with the voice? I, I, you know, I just wanted to make it all big and exciting, build up the tension. Build the tension for what? For listening. It's a sketch show, not a blockbuster film. You just need to say something like, Hey, we're the imaginary people. Listen to our sketch show on distinct comedy. You might like it, if you're into that kind of thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all right, actually. Oh, well, you better be quick before the time runs out. The imaginary people, coming soon to distinct comedy. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and at distinctnostalgia.com. As well as amazing TV and film nostalgia, this podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember about. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. The fifth season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner Cell Block. Cell Block B. Prisoner Cell Block H. Simply choose your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Khyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> they're, know. <laughs> they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Mind of the Month quiz. What kind of programme was The Smoking Room? Oh, I've never heard of it. I don't know if I can accept that. Returns in October. That's another cracker, isn't it? They Uh, always are. (laughs) Only here. 
Now, you'd mentioned that you were in the back of the pub quite a lot, and you were, and the, the scenes I always remember in the back of the pub were often scenes where you were having a row quite a bit with, with, with Bet, with Bet. Now, yeah. how did that, how did you cope with that? Because you, you say you got this character who in real life is larger than life, and in the soap mm. is larger than life, but you, you gave as good as you got, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think I grew in confidence as an actor. I think, um, Roy definitely gave me a lot of confidence and treated me with a lot of respect. Considering our age difference, he always treated me as if I had a right to be there as much as him. And I had a right to, to have good screen time as much as him. I was never overshadowed by him. So I think that that I was, I was enormously, um, bolstered by him and, and, and gave me a lot more confidence. So yeah. As time went on, I felt more and more that it was important as well, though. I got, I got a sense that you never know when your contract's going to end on the street. Especially with mine, it would be like three months, another three months, another three months, and then a six months and maybe two or three six months before I then went on to a 12 month contract. And you just never know when that's going to end. So it got to the point where I thought, I have to make every scene count. Otherwise, they're going to stop writing for me. <laughs> and if you're going to make every scene count, then playing those scenes where you have to stand up to a character like Bet Lynch, you're going to have to go for it. I mean, thank God I never had to hit her or anything, but, you know, yeah, just be as good as you can. You'd have been whacked by a cigarette holder, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, an ashtray. An ashtray, yeah. <laughs> a big, heavy ashtray. <laughs> so what was it, um, I mean, how did it, you, you were in the, in the programme at a young age, and obviously this is Britain's biggest show, and suddenly, I'm sure, you were being recognised and things like that. I mean, how did it sort of change your life personally at that time? Um, it was very strange. Um, sometimes... Sometimes fine. I definitely struggled with the kind of just wanting to go out and be um, totally anonymous from time to time. And you become a little bit paranoid. But, you know, I've got some um, teenage stepdaughters. And so I'm acutely aware of what it is to be a teenager anyway. Well, acutely reminded of what it's like. And you do walk around with a sense of paranoia. Everyone's watching me. Everybody's, uh, I better not mess up because everybody will care. Nobody, nobody cares. You know, you get a bit older and you realize that nobody actually cares what you're doing. They're too busy thinking about what they're doing. But I think uh, it would have been nice from time to time to be able to live a bit more like nobody's looking at me. Um, but nobody can really see you when you're in a dark nightclub. So that's all right. You know. Those sort of things. Did did people like Nick, uh, you know, Cochrane and Simon Gregson, having those younger people around, did that help as well? I mean, did you form quite a bond with those actors? We did not socialise particularly. There was one or two occasions where we hung out. Um, but really, because I... First of all, I would get the train over as much as possible from Sheffield. Then I got my driving licence and I would commute as much as possible. Eventually, 
the schedule got so heavy that I got a flat. But by and large, I would come back to Sheffield and, and hang out with my mates in Sheffield. I hung out with Angela Griffin a lot and Tracy. But yeah, apart from hanging out with Angela, most of my friends were my old friends from Sheffield. You kept your feet firmly on the ground. Well, I don't know. Maybe they're just, yeah, they were just my, I, I think it was work. It, it, it really, really felt like work. And that is one of the reasons I think I realized I was going to leave because people would come into the show uh, for short-term contracts and those people would normally be from a theatre background and I would go and see them in plays and I would just be so in love with theatre that I realized that that didn't feel like work. And when you're 17... 18, you want to be experimenting with things that give you that spark and fire. And and I wanted to be playing some really crazy roles. I wanted to be playing people from different periods and different... It's very... Soaps are amazing and they're so naturalistic. And I think at that time in my life, I didn't want to be doing naturalistic acting. I wanted to be living in a different world she was very sensible vicky wasn't crazy she had very sensible clothes and things (laughs) i um so yeah i think i realized that i wanted to do something do something a bit more experimental while i was still young before i got too scared yeah yeah no i I understand that i understand that so simon let's look at some of chloe's other storylines if we can just see if we can remind her of a couple others that we could talk about Anything specific to do with, maybe to do with uh, Steve and uh, their relationship? Yeah. yeah, things turned very sour with um, with Steve because he got involved in, in some sort of fraudulent activities, some stolen whiskey, stolen alcohol that he, he purchased uh, and, and got himself into a lot of trouble. And then partly at Vicky's suggestion, they attempted to bribe the guy who who he'd bought the stolen booze from um, to tell the police that he hadn't done it and so on and so forth. And they both ended up in court, um, which was one of her, her last, one of Vicky's last storylines as a regular um, character in, in, in Corrie, I seem to recall, and, and quite gripping. Yeah, I remember the courtroom scenes really well. I remember, I've got some, um, I've got lots of Polaroids from those times as well. That was a fantastic storyline that was the christmas storyline too and that's always a big thing isn't it which soap and which family within which soap gets the big story and i remember at the time thinking oh my god we've got the christmas story whatever year that was absolutely got to make the most of this i think we even got arrested on christmas day i think the police came to the flat on christmas day and arrested us really 95 yeah that was the year I left so yeah that was really that was a real honor what an honor and also I don't think I'd handed in my notice by then not that it worked quite like that it was just a contractual renewal thing but I do remember knowing when I got that bulk of scripts and we had the Christmas story I knew I wouldn't get another big story for such a long time it's got to be someone else's turn so I thought you you should leave now before you then have to spend the next 12 months just hovering in the background. You know, that was a good opportunity to 
go. Now that's 25 years, you're right, it's 25 years ago, 1995. I mean, for heaven's sakes, long, quarter of a century, Chloe, quarter of a century ago. <laughs> um, you, um, obviously you got to work with, uh, with, with, si- with Simon Gregson um, quite a bit. It is, it is sort of formative years, really, in the show. Um, what, was it, what was he like to work with? Tell us a bit about Simon. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm Y'all trying, already? Yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Me, we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We going to have this, like... Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for real. For oh, don't lie. play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. I think Simon was quite a shy person, and we never really knew each other very well until the very last sort of bits of our job together and we I remember making a sort of pact with him that we were going to work super hard on that because we both had a bit of a rough time off screen with our private lives we never really talked about that but I think we both realized at one point that we were in a really lucky position to have such a good job so we were going to knuckle down and get on with it but um yeah if anything, I think, yeah, what we had in common was that we both um, struggled with fame and wanting a private life, but really loving the job too. So, like, how do you marry the two? How do you stay within that profession whilst still wanting to be a private person? Yeah, absolutely. And and what about just talking about the other youngsters then? I mean, obviously his brother, the guy, you know, Nick Cochran, who was in it for quite a long time as well, left just a bit after you, of course. He was he was written out of the show in the sort of late nineteen nineties. Did you get on with Nick okay? Got on with Nick brilliantly. And he is a really, really great guy. But we didn't socialise at all. I don't know why. I think Nick just kind of got his head down, got on with the job and then went home. He didn't, you know, he wasn't in the pub. He wasn't hanging out. I don't, yeah, just different social scene. It was a job to him, I think. I mean, I've interviewed him recently yeah. and, he, you know, that's what yeah. it was. It was it was a job to yeah, him. Yeah, he took it really seriously in that way, yeah. And, of course, you were you were in the pub. And, of course, you, as you say, you were working with, um, with Sarah Lancashire, who's fantastic. But you also had people like uh, Betty Driver to, to work with as well, didn't you? Can you remember working oh with Betty? Goodness. Oh, what a wonderful woman. Yeah. She's very familiar. She was, she was always very familiar to me as like one of my female relatives. She was the most like my real family. Um, I felt very, very warm towards her. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about her character as well, as well, of course, for a long time, she didn't get, she didn't get massive storylines, but she was always there as the sort of, I don't know, the, 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 the audience's sort of, um, 
I don't know what would you call it. She was watching things and sort of giving knowing glances all the time of, of the storylines, wasn't she? She was like a sort of yeah. she was like the fourth wall in a way to the, for the audience, yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. is quite which is quite strange, really. Um, and did you did you have many scenes with uh, with Barbara Knox? No, not enough, not enough. I, I don't really remember having a lot of storylines with her. I think I think I saw Barbara more sociably. Um, I can't think where or why, but I, because I, I mostly socialized with people like Thelma and Roy and Barbara. If we ever went sort of the theater to see something together. Um, so I think I would see her out of work at social events. And, and you mentioned, obviously, Betty, as you say, Betty Driver was fantastic, but you also, because you're in the pub, I mean, being in the pub is a fantastic place to be in Corrie. <laughs> Because you always you get to work with some well everybody in a way don't you but of course you yeah. you got you got uh, Bill Tarmy of course as Jack Jack Duckworth at the pub as well I mean he must have been great to work with too yes yes I don't think I don't think at the time when I was very young um, I don't think I appreciated that those characters or those actors were going to be some of the best people to have been associated with and to be surrounded by um so yes it's only with hindsight that you think oh my goodness I had the the creme de la creme there didn't I of soap history um yeah they were all great they were all superb um if only I had a better memory some of the quotes and some of the language used by those people um it's absolutely hilarious If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Space. Not so long ago. In a time of intergalactic turmoil, the peaceful tyranny of the Galactic Empire is forever being threatened by evil anarchist forces. What was that? Morning. Anarchist forces have launched a surprise attack on a Sun Crusher's outer defense craft. Only the Sun Crusher space station can bring order back to the Empire. This is not a drill, although they probably are using drills. And only one man and one robot have the administration skills to keep bureaucracy burning bright. You are so anal. I don't be ridiculous, Brack. I don't even have an anus. That's an exhaust port. Meet Brack Nubar. That's my payslip, isn't it? It's completely blank. And X769C. My gang homo has been engaged. Thrill as they take on giant brides and evil geniuses. She's beautiful. Really? She looks like a giant calculator on steroids. Gasp as they look death squarely in the face and then run away. Down a garbage chute. I'm not going down there. Written and performed by Ian McNess and Richard Delafield. Stop stroking yourself. It creeps me out. <clears throat> you don't get heroes like this. Kill me now. Just get it over with. Well, I do have this letter. Creep space. You okay now? Yes. 
So I can stop holding your hand? Yes. Available every Saturday on Distinct Comedy. Search for Distinct Comedy wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, back then, um, I mean, I know they were starting to do more episodes, but they weren't doing as many episodes as they do now. So presumably you you had a bit more time to prepare things, did you, back then? Yeah, I don't know what the schedule's like now. I mean, it's probably very streamlined. It was, uh, it was pr- probably looking back very luxurious. We would, we were on, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday shows at the time. So you'd begin the week. Well, you'd get your scripts at the end of the week and the week would begin with location on Saturday and Sunday. So if you didn't have any location or hardly any location, you wouldn't actually start work until Monday, Monday when we had an entire read-through, which you'd never do now. Get everybody in for a read-through and then tech it all and then block it and film it over over the rest of the week until you get your scripts again and start again on a Saturday, Um, which is probably not very cost-efficient, which is why they don't do it that way anymore. But there was a lot of hanging about. I mean, they would bill it now as... um, you just rehearse record, so you're only paid for the time you used, but you also get to do lots of other things. You could go off and do a radio play, for example. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it did, that creates a team. Being there with everyone, it does create a team. And that would mean that you were at least in the green room with the entire cast. Let's talk. Um, let's talk a little bit about Roy, because you said to me when before we did this interview that you know you, you held him up, you know, in a great deal of affection, kind of thing. And you mentioned already that he did, you know, he, he treated you with respect, and you were a lot younger than him, and all the rest of it. Um, but what, 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 you know? I mean, I know that. I mean, he'd done loads and loads of things. The thing I always remember is him obviously doing this, the the character stuff with uh, with uh, Les Dawson, you know, Sissy and Hader, yeah, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he, he was a very versatile actor. He could do lots and lots of different things, couldn't he? Just tell us a little bit yeah. more about him and, you know, any, any funny stories or other things you learned from him. Well, Roy and I ended up um, a good year or two after I'd left Corrie. We then ended up doing a play together at the West Yorkshire Playhouse in Leeds, um, Spring and Port Wine, where he played my dad. And that was an amazing, amazing opportunity to work with him on stage and that was a really beautiful role that then I really saw the other side of him the serious side of him and we bonded even more it's just superb being able to (laughs) be really brutal with somebody to love somebody that much and be so close to somebody and trust somebody so much that you can be so awful to each other I can't repeat some of the things he used to say to me because it was so vulgar. But, um, yeah, he had a really vulgar nickname for me, which you could only say if you really had that trust with someone. And, uh, and we did. And I loved him so dearly. Yeah, we, we remained friends for a very long time. And he used to come and watch me in all my shows. He used to come and see me on tour. When I did all these other plays, even though he was getting on and I thought, oh gosh, I felt a bit embarrassed. Like, oh, you don't have to come and see this one. He would send me cards and flowers on my opening night. He would take me out for meals um, with Mark, his partner. It was, 
He was such a such a wonderful person. He was like my family. And and he was perfect for Coronation Street, wasn't he? I mean, did he did he do you think he enjoyed his time on Corrie? Yeah, I think he did. I think I think he I think he like like the best people around. He sort of gave it his all. He made that character really really um watchable, really fascinating, and then he stopped doing it when before it petered out, um, he just knew exactly how much to give it. Was it your decision yeah. then to leave Coronation Street or were you just written out? What was the? No, I think it was, I remember the meeting very well. I remember going to the meeting with an idea in my mind of what would be best. Um, cause we'd had a really rocky period. I'd been, um, not giving it my, I'd not been fully concentrating. Uh, I'd not been getting my head down, but I knew I still had it in me to give a lot more. And I thought if I'm starting to mess about and not take this very seriously, it must be time to leave. Um, so I went with uh, a view to chatting about that, but also wanting to, to do some more, but not to be around for too much longer. And they just agreed. It was a mutual decision. And I think, I think at the time the producers were aware that young people should be doing other things with their lives, should be getting out there and seeing the world. And if you're an actor or if you're in the arts, then you should be trying lots of different things and experimenting with lots of different things. And what was the immediate effect afterwards? I mean, did you... Did you manage to get parts very easily or what were you, did you find yourself typecast quite quickly or what? I can't really remember. I remember feeling very, very much at sea. I was very insecure and very, felt very ill-equipped to audition for other things, especially theatre. Um, I think, I think I had some big opportunities early on. To, to audition for lots of films and big telly that I, I was like, that was way over me. It was way too much for me. Um, I felt much more comfortable in theatre, but again, I was quite insecure because I didn't have a formal training and I felt like I was going to go to auditions and they were going to ask me things that I would have learned at drama school, but I'd not been to drama school. So I started doing some classes with a private tutor and that gave me a lot more confidence. I knew more plays, I knew more speeches from plays and I could, um, I felt like I could talk a lot more in, in auditions about stuff because invariably they would still ask you which, where did you train? Like what school did you go to? Just, you know, it's just classic, classicism. But you went to the school of Coronation Street, that's where you went. <laughs> yeah, but you know, in theatre. It doesn't matter so much now because things have changed and people come, you know, you can become a star from YouTube now. But at that time, unless you'd been to the right school or any school, um, what did you have to say for yourself? Simon, just remind us, this wasn't the end, of course, for Vicky. Vicky came back a few years later in a spin-off. Just remind us the scenario and we'll talk about that very briefly. 
Coronation Street After Hours, um, late 99, uh, filmed, I believe, in, in, in Brighton. And it yes. again involved Steve and his, his exploit, Stephen Vikram. Um, and Vicky had ended up down in, in Brighton where she was running a bar um, and engaged to be married to the guy that she was running the bar with, I, I seem to remember. Um, and in any case, Steve and his mate had a bet that Steve could prevent the marriage. And in order to do so, he successfully seduces Vicky, um, who then decides that she's going to get back with Steve. And then he finds out that she's actually got no money and this bar that she's running is losing money and so on. So he skedaddles. Um, and it had a happy ending, I seem to remember. Was it was it good to uh, revisit Vicky a few years later, Chloe? It was brilliant. What an honour. That was absolutely amazing. Filming in Brighton was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we had a superb time. That was a lot of fun, that filming. Um, and to have your own bar. You know, to, to, to be working, you know, having, having worked in the Rovers and lived in the Rovers and now they had, I had my own bar. Um, yeah, that was a really cool time. For ages after that, when I went to Brighton on day trips and things with friends, I would point out on the seafront that this is, this is my bar, this, this shop front here. And you were working yeah. with Chris Bisson was in that, of course. Who's yeah, Chris, who I met when I was much younger in, in children's wards. So Chris and I were friends from when we were like, 11 or 12 years old and of course i think it was around that time that he he got his um stint in east is east of course the big uh yeah. the big film yeah. you know so he did really yeah. well absolutely well that obviously you know, it's um you know you've gone on to lots of other things i mean what what do you think ultimately cory sort of did for you you know did it help you or i suppose there's an inevitable question so some people say soaps can hinder actors did it help or hinder you longer term do you think Oh my gosh. Longer term, like now, at this point in my life, I would say it was, it, it made a huge difference. When I look back at what I learned, I think it's, it had a massive positive impact on my career. There were points where due to snobbery or whatever that it might have hindered it temporarily, but no, I was very, very lucky. I was lucky, but then I feel like I worked very, very hard there and, and made it a success. And most recently, of course, you starred in uh, in The Lie, which is uh, the Agatha Christie uh, um, world premiere of Agatha Christie's um, lost play, The Lie, on Radio 4, which if yeah. uh, if people are listening to us now, they should still be able to listen to it on BBC Sounds, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. you play Nell in that. Just remind us who yeah. Nell is, just briefly. Uh, Nell and her sister, Nan, live with their mother and their grandmother in a house which um, is owned by John, her brother-in-law. And the play is about the breakdown or deception in the marriage of her brother-in-law and sister. And, and we think, don't we, we think there might be a link to Agatha's life, as her own, her own yeah. life, don't we, loosely? Yeah. Well, like most playwrights, she drew upon things that were going on around her. So it's bits and pieces of Agatha's family, um, that all come together in a very, very tragic, heartbreaking story. Indeed. And I say, if anybody wants to listen to that, it's on the Radio 4 website on BBC Sounds at the moment. So the final question then is, could Vicky or Chloe ever return to Coronation Street to haunt Steve? <laughs> I'd be very happy to go back. I've just got to get one more child into school. <laughs> like... 
<laughs> and then I'll be free to work again. No, we've got, we've got, um, between us, my husband and I have got four daughters and, uh, the youngest is still only two. So I still feel very attached in that sense. But I, yeah, I'm starting to work again and it would be an absolute honor to go back to Coronation Street. Chloe, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Distinct Nostalgia, home to some incredible interviews with stars from all your favourite soaps. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not head over to distinctnostalgia.com for a treasure trove of programmes just like this. Lisa Williamson of Hollyoaks fame talks about life on the programme. So we all got to know each other quite well. If you were chatting to some of the writers about something you've been getting up to, they would sort of write that in. So you started realising that some of your personality traits would come into the show. I got the script and I thought, what have I been up to? I got pregnant. I had the child adopted. It was, you know, and you think, wow, the writers have really gone to town for me today. You know, it's, it was great, fantastic. Andrew Linford and Mark Homer reflect on sharing their first kiss on EastEnders in the 1990s. When the, the Blackpool episode came out, front page of the tabloids, it was like, get this scum off our TV and things like that. Just horrendous stuff. It, it was kind of the start of, of, of a big thing, really, and we're privileged to be involved in, in storylines like that, I really am. And Nick Cochran discusses his life on the street as we continue our celebration of Corrie at 60. They were just brilliant with us, you know, because we were a couple of little sh- who've fortunately found the way into the TV's biggest show without really knowing what they're doing. That's bottom line, that's where me and Simon were at that point. Myself and Simon are old school people. We were brought up properly, mate, and, and so there was a lot of respect then, more than there is now. These programmes and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.